Folks, our first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, is now available for you to learn at your own pace for just 50 euros, and it comes with a certificate upon completion. Go to mapperforward.coffee forward slash workshops or click the link in the show notes for more details. Support this podcast by supporting our sponsors. Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapper Forward, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and I'm joined for episode two of our five-part series with Judith Gaines. Judy, we are today talking about availability of coffee in 2023. Tell us everything. (laughs) Okay. So in 15 minutes or less, we we can cover it all. No problem. The the situation is that I want to talk about the availability of stocks Mm -hmm. and in our last podcast, I alluded to that there's some similarities to 1997. Mm-hmm. So I want to sort of do that throwback in time as to what happened and then where are we positioned right now. Mm-hmm. So there's coffee that's held in producer stockpiles at, at farms and cooperative warehouses. And that stock isn't as visible as stock that's sitting in the United States or in Europe. Now, coffee that is deliverable against the New York Arabica contract has to be graded and certified. It's Mm -hmm. not the same as a certification program. So don't confuse it with Rainforest Alliance or Oots or Fair Trade. It's really just establishing that it meets the base grade specifications for delivery against the New York contract and those warehouses that are acceptable for delivery are in several ports in the U S and also in Europe. That availability of certified coffee for delivery has an oversized impact on prices because you have contracts and the seller of a contract is obligated to the buyer if they're demanding delivery to make delivery of that coffee. Mm-hmm. If the coffee doesn't exist in certified stock, well, they've got to get the coffee. And if they can't, then they've got to liquidate their position by covering the short, buying long, and that can drive up prices. And so the market becomes very sensitive to the direction of those stock levels. And if stocks are 3 million and they go down to 2 million, no one's paying attention. But if stocks are 900,000 bags dropping to 200,000, well, that sends a big warning message and alarm that, wow, someone could potentially squeeze the market and cause prices to jump sharply higher. And we had a couple of instances of this this past year, mm-hmm. and it's still on the radar screen because stocks started to come back down again. In the past 10 days or so, we've had close to 100,000 bags of coffee taken from exchange warehouses. Why? Were they not certifiable? Why? Well, the reason is this. Um, you have coffee futures price, but then mm-hmm. you also have cash prices 
mm-hmm. that are trading at a positive basis or, or positive differential. So in other markets, the difference between cash less futures is called the basis mm-hmm. and in coffee is called the differential. Okay. And when you have positive differentials, so the cash price is above the futures price, why would you possibly want to deliver it against the futures contract? Mm-hmm. Because you can make more money selling it in the open market. And we've had positive differentials for Colombian coffee and Honduran coffee and Guatemalan coffee and all and Brazilian coffee even. So all the growths that are deliverable against the New York contract are selling at much more attractive or lucrative prices in the cash market. So you don't have fresh crop coffee coming to the board. Mm. And that's why the stocks have been able to come down because for a buyer, they're saying, okay, what's the cheapest commercially available coffee? Well, I could buy Hondurans for 34 over, or I could take, you know, Colombians for 60 some odd over or Brazilians for 25, 30 over, or, oh, look, here's a certified stock that's been sitting there and has accumulated some age-related discounts, some penalties, Mm. and it's a bargain. So what if it's not the best coffee? We're just going to blend it anyway. And so it becomes the bargain. And that's why it disappears. And so when you have firm differentials, then there's high demand for the certified stocks. When differentials are weak, then you have more coffee coming to the board. So you have this dynamic where the cash market prices have been above the futures price, reflecting the tighter supply and the higher costs. And some of that is related to quality. Some of it is related to location. You had Colombia have production problems for the past year because of La Nina linked mm-hmm. heavy rains and it just everything fed onto each other. And so how producers get rewarded is having a positive differential. And when that happens, certified stocks disappear. Drop. That's right. And you also had certified stocks started. I know you were going to say something. You also had certified stocks being drawn down during the past year or year and a half because freight rates were so high. Mm. And so roasters were saying, you know, look, we're having delays and we're going to have to utilize the stock. And it's here, it's available, it's sitting in European warehouses. And we're going to utilize this instead of paying high freight rates. And that helped to pull the stocks down also. Between what we spoke about in our last conversation about pricing and what we're talking about with regards to the availability, I have to ask, um, because it all does sound that we need to be paying significant attention to this, um, what does this mean for the price of coffee over the next 12 months? Okay. So the coffee market is exceedingly efficient and that's part of the rules of engagement and because the trade is very seasoned at dealing with this and understanding it. Mm -hmm. So what happens is 
be spread between one contract month to the next. Sometimes the market inverts where the newer contracts are trading at a premium to the more discounted months to reflect this tight supply situation. And so when you don't have that cost to carry built into the market, then the trade will tend to bring coffee to the board and that will realign the market and um, put it back into carry. And so we had that situation back in October where kind of the the air was, you know, sucked out of the market and Mm -hmm. prices came down. And then the number of bags, there was over a million bags of coffee that were graded, yet only 60%, actually just shy of 60%, were of decent enough quality to pass. What happens with the other 40%? It, didn't, it, it gets failed. rejected. It gets rejected. So it so, has to be sold on the cash market? Or it gets put back into warehouse in Antwerp. So, oh, wow. so what happens, you know, when you have high cash differentials, you're not going to see fresh crop coffee coming to the board. Like no. absolutely no way is that going to happen. But there's millions and millions of bags sitting in warehouse in, you know, especially in Antwerp, okay, Mm -hmm. that could potentially be deliverable grade coffee. Mm -hmm. Some of it would be Robusta, some of it is Brazilian naturals, but there's three or 4 million bags of washed Arabica coffee, which could potentially be used to meet delivery obligations. Mm -hmm. Now, some of that coffee, is not going to pass. We saw 60% only pass. Why? Because the cup quality didn't meet the requirements. Mm-hmm. So it can't show that it's Brazilian natural. So it can't be natural coffee. It has to be washed Arabica. So mm-hmm. it can't have a hint of that in, in the cup. And it can't have any hint of being aged. Also, the color of the coffee was faded, which shows also that it was older coffee that was just kind of sitting around in Mm. warehouse for a while. Now, the trade doesn't necessarily have to deliver the coffee if it's the exchange quality. Maybe they have expected buyers for that coffee Mm -hmm. and and they're not going to put it to delivery because when you deliver the coffee to the market and to the exchange warehouses, it accrues age-related penalties. Mm-hmm. And the longer it sits, the greater the penalty. And so why not keep it out of exchange-related warehouses as long as possible to not accrue the penalties? Except if it's in the warehouses, isn't it open to be sold as fresh well, as stock? Sure. I mean, absolutely. Why not? I mean, you could sell whatever coffee, you know, a trade could sell the coffee. Right. They don't have to deliver it. Sometimes banks require for inventory financing Mm -hmm. um, as collateral that they want the coffee certified. Right. Um, But not as much in recent years as in in the past. 
Um, but that's another reason why sometimes there might be coffee that's put up for grading and delivered. But in the case of what's been happening in recent months, I don't think that was in the reason. Right. <laughs> it was really, it was really to, you know, correct for some, um, you know, the difficulties that the trade has mm-hmm. when you have the market not in carry and instead being inverted with the nearby prices higher. And if as the market goes up, then they also have um, margin calls. And so there's all sorts of reasons why um, the coffee market will adjust and, and become very efficient in, in doing so. And, you know, drawing out the supply is necessary. I have an uncomfortable question that I get asked by sure. producers a lot. Even though the market is efficient, is it fair? Well, I actually think that because it is efficient, it's it's fair. Where, where people sort of get hung up on this is that they think sort of the um, tail wags the dog. And that, right. okay, and that the, the market price is establishing their prices and why should we be beholden to Correct. The, the this is what producers say all the and time. And that's always the argument. Yeah. And and when I when I hear these arguments, I tend to think, okay, so I need to take one of my courses. <laughs> okay. Okay. To understand the principles of you know supply and demand and economics and the the realities of why it's so important to have a regulated futures market and mm. not just abandon that and have cash prices. Part of that is when you have a regulated market, then you have a way of offsetting counterparty risk. So if you mm-hmm. just had forward contracts, there could be defaults galore. Yeah. You don't you don't have that in the futures contract. The other thing mm. is that when you have so when you have a standardized contract, then the trade can hedge and manage their price risk to be able to do the volumes that are needed to have the world coffee trade flow smoothly. Except to them. Go on. And if they? And if they couldn't manage that risk, then they're not going to pay the prices. Right. So that's one thing. Okay. The other thing is that the futures market is a way of offsetting and transferring that risk from commercial players to speculators Mm -hmm. who are in the market just for profit. But there's another key component to the market, and that is that it's for price discovery. Mm -hmm. And I think that people underestimate the market's ability to do that effectively and efficiently. And when it's talking about price discovery, it's taking every possible nuance of Mm -hmm. supply and demand, of weather factors, of 
changes in interest rates and currencies and factors that maybe won't impact a producer in Indonesia as directly as it would in Brazil, but it's taking production into consideration worldwide, mm -hmm. even though it's just a washed Arabica contract. And it's doing so, it's like a sponge with an immediate um, response in absorbing this information and relaying it back in price. And if there are distortions, then that's reflected in the differentials, the difference between cash and futures price. Mm. So if the market is under pressure because there's concern about a recession, high interest rates, or because the dollar is on a tear rallying up, okay, then the futures market might be depressed. But the market is then going to see differentials strengthen. And people just look at the C price and they forget about differentials right? and where the cash market is. And it has to be looked at together. Uh, at the end of this series, actually in the show notes, folks, go and take a look at links to where you can see Judy's content. Subscribe to her newsletter um, and pay to get the paid newsletter because the information that you get is out of this world. Also, follow her on LinkedIn. I get so – I learn so much from Judy's <laughs> LinkedIn. I really do. So we're going to head to the next episode and in the next episode we're going to talk about uh, the global economy and coffee because I suspect that we have some interesting things in our future. And these first two episodes of the of this series have definitely laid the groundwork for what's coming in the next episode. Judy, you're a master at this, and it? I learned so much. Thank you. Peace, love, and peanut butter, everybody. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.